Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. To tell them the truth. He said, you are, you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 7, remember... Notice, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness, that 40-year wandering period from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. You've never ceased to be rebellious. And it's because of their old, this nature that we possess as, as human beings. We are all born with a sin nature. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. The Rebellion of the Old Nature. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob continues to explore God's reminder to the nation of Israel of their rebellion towards him. God didn't hold back on his explanation to them that they are a stiff-necked people. This is a good example for us as Christians today because even though we have a new nature because of Christ, we are still susceptible to rebellion. However, Pastor Rob teaches that it is because of God's love for us that he leads us back to a righteous path, as he did with the nation of Israel. Remember, obey God and leave the consequences to him. Here's Pastor Rob with today's lesson. will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Notice that was the Lord's desire, that they would go in and that um, God says he will destroy them. And he will bring them down before you. He's going to do the work. But you've got to follow through and go in and, and continue the campaign, right? And, and that's really where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? You know, God, um, God does everything for us. And a lot of times he just wants us to go in and, and clean up the mess. So often that's the way it is in the Old Testament. If they were faithful and just were obedient to God, God would work mightily on their behalf. And God has an unfair advantage because he's the creator of all flesh. He's the creator of all things. So he can go in and he can cause the Amalekites, who are great in number, and against a very small band of Gideons, 300 Gideons, you know, men of Gideon, are going against this huge army, and God can work in such a way where they get confused, they get spooked somehow, and all of a sudden, psychologically, there's a lot of things going on, and all of a sudden, they're turning their swords on each other, and only God can do that. He, is, he has a, a really wonderful way of intervening on the behalf of his children, um, especially when they're walking in obedience, and especially sometimes when we're not walking in obedience. He's not forced to do good to us when we are disobedient. But again, I love those times when I know that I have made mistakes or I have sinned and God blesses me 
because he knows how I'm going to respond to it because he knows all things. He's omniscient, right? And so when I fail, when I sin, and he treats me so well that day, just circumstances just seem to go well for me that day. When they could, he could have orchestrated it and made my day really bad just to prove to me that, oh, I'm not happy with you. But no, that's not the way it is. I've experienced days like that where I've really blown it and God has really, really blessed me. And at the end of the day, I just go, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you really that good, Lord? And he's like, yeah, I really am that good. And, you know, and that's the time you worship him and you just give thanks to him. So, verse 4, he says, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you. Notice that, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because, notice, this is what I was talking about earlier, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It's their wickedness. That's why I'm driving it out. Not because you've got some great thing to bring to the, to the, to the table, Israel. In fact, you're not a great people. You're a small people. You're few in number, but I'm going to be exalted through you. I'm going to work through you. And I'm driving out these nations because they are wicked. They've been wicked for hundreds of years, but the time has come when I'm going to drive them out before you. And so, you know, again, God gave them so much time to turn from their sin. And, and I love the fact in, in Psalm 24 it says, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. You know, you think about Israel and you think, well, of course, they're God's people. And then you think about other nations like the, the Girgashites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the, the, these seven nations that they are going in to dispossess. These were Gentiles, and yet God was holding them accountable for their sin. And no doubt they had people going to them. They had an awareness of what they were doing was wrong, and God would judge them for what they knew, what they knew. But I love this because it says, The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. So everyone belongs to God. It's not just for the Jews, but God holds every people, every person accountable to him. He's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of all. And so verse 5, it is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because, again, the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And you know, there's a, a list of verses up here on the screen, and we're not going to go through all of them, but let me just read a couple of them uh, just to encourage you, because they actually go in order. The first one's to Abraham, a promise that God made to Abraham. The second one is to Isaac. The next one is to Jacob. And to Abraham, he said this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. We're just going to read the first few verses of this. The Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, Abraham, and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Notice the confidence in God. Certainly there was no confidence in Abraham. <laughs> I'm not a blessing, Lord. I'm more like a liability. <laughs> but he says, no, you're, gonna, you're going to be a blessing, Abraham. You can't see it right now. You don't even understand it. You don't even have all the pieces together. They're all scattered about and that's okay. God says, because I'm going to put those pieces together in my time, in my way, and at the end of the day, at the end of when things start coming together, you're going to see this beautiful tapestry that I built of your life. And you're going to know that I am the Lord your God who sees the end from the beginning. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. 
And I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great. And I will bless, verse 3, those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then going on to Genesis chapter 26, the first five verses, it says, there was a famine in the land. And here God is just reiterating the same promise to, to Isaac. This land that they're about to go and possess, this was a promise that I gave to your fathers. Is God trustworthy? Is God able to keep his promise? He is. And God keeps his promises. We are the promise breakers. God is the promise keeper. He always keeps his promise. He never goes back. He never can go back. And why? Because he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He has all of these things at his disposal. He doesn't need to lie because he knows the whole truth. People lie because they want to cover up things. But God knows all things. He knows all things. And he knows he's seen everything as if it has already occurred. So he doesn't need to tell an untruth about something. He's already seen my life and your life as if it's already a vapor, as if he knew the day you were born and he knows the day you're going to pass away. He knows the circumstances of your life, every detail of your life, but he gives you the, the sovereignty over your own life. And yet he is sovereign, almighty God. I love that. He's completely sovereign, but yet he gives you the ability to deny him or to, or to accept him or to be obedient or to be disobedient. See, that's who we serve. That's the great God we serve. Doesn't he deserve worship? <laughs> Man, when you start thinking about the greatness of that mind, of that holy heart of his, it just causes you to just want to flop on the ground and wiggle <laughs> and, and just say, Lord, I am undone. Now we understand why the men in the Bible, when they came into a presence of, of God in some pre-incarnate form, or even standing before an angel, if, even if an angel of God was to appear before us in this room right now, not even God himself, not even Jesus, but just an angel, very naturally we would fall to our ground with our faces. It would be like an involuntary thing. It's sort of like when you blink. You blink involuntarily. We would instantly go, I can't believe I'm in the presence of this holy being and you just, you loathe yourself in a, in a good way. You're just like, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, don't even come near me or I'm going to die. Can you imagine that, the holiness? That is how great God is. And I love that about him. And yet he says, he'll pick your hand up and he'll pick you up and he'll love on you. See, that's the great God we serve. And then, obviously, in Genesis 28, we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but Genesis 28, 12 through 15, God just reiterates to um, Actually, I don't think I read to you Isaac. Let me read to you in Genesis 26. It says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him, and he said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you, and dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you, notice, and your descendants, I will give all these lands. So there's the promise again reiterated to Abraham's seed. And to all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I'm going to do it, Isaac. And I'll perform the oath. And I will, verse 4, make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Was it perfect? No. But was he a, a righteous man, a holy man? He was. Because he, when he made his mistakes, he fessed up to them. And then he reiterates it to Jacob as well. And you know, there's a wonderful thing in, in Leviticus chapter 25. 
in verse 23. It says, The land shall not be sold permanently. And God is speaking here. He says, For the land is mine, and you are strangers and sojourners with me. The land belongs to him, right? Isn't that what we read in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's. It's his. It belongs to Jehovah God. It belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And all they that dwell, it all belongs to him. And so he is able to give this little piece of land the size of Rhode Island (laughs) to a certain people group, and yet that is the most hotly contested piece of real estate on the planet. It always has been. Why are there wars in the Middle East? It's all about Jerusalem. It's all about Jerusalem. And, And oil... In verse 6, he says, uh, going back to uh, Deuteronomy 9 here, he says, Therefore understand that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Don't you like how God just kind of puts it out there? You're a problem child. (laughs) And he can tell us, you know, sometimes we just need the truth, right? Oh, he's so lovely. No, he's not. Look at him. He's a sinner, just like me. Right? And so God is not afraid to tell them the truth. He said, you are, you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 7, remember, notice, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness, that 40-year wandering period from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. You've never ceased to be rebellious. And it's because of their old, this nature that we possess as, as human beings. We are all born with a sin nature. The Bible says that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And, and even after we receive the new nature, when we're born again, the Spirit of God comes inside of us, and He's there forever. This new nature, the very nature of God inside of us, giving us a new heart, a new attitude, a new thoughts, new desires, that were never there before. And now you have power to resist sin in your life where before you would just cave in to every little whim and desire of your flesh. But now you've got this, this conqueror in your chest who is taking care of business. And, and the scary thing is, is that even though that new nature is within us, God uh, doesn't violate our own will. And even as Christians, we can sin. We can take the the Lord for a moment. We can say, we can set him to the side and say, I'm going to let this old nature express itself. And it always results in sin. It always results in agony. It always ends in pain. It always ends in regret. Always. And then we come back to the Lord. And then he says, well, you're going to put me back on the throne of your heart again? Yeah, Lord. And then we put him back. And all of a sudden there's peace. There's forgiveness. Our, Our relationship is restored after I confess my sin. And see, that's how good he is. But we have to be careful, though, because this old nature is still there, and it's still underneath this new nature. You know, that's why Paul would say, you know, why is it that I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. He goes, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death, this body of sin? And only God can do that. Man in his best efforts, is imp- it's impossible for man to clean up his act. Have you seen Washington? It's just the same thing over and over again. Everybody is messed up because they're sinners. The greatest thing that could ever happen to our country is for politicians to be saved. And again, we're not trying to bring heaven on earth because we're going to be out of here. I'm not looking to build a utopia here because this is just, um, we're strangers, the Bible says, in this land that we live in on earth. Our eternal resting place is in the heavens with Jesus. 
So I'm not really looking forward. And now, it doesn't mean that we just roll over and let sin pervade everything. No, you fight it. You fight it within yourself, and you point it out to others to bring them to Christ, to show them who they are, who God is, and the great gulf between, and the remedy for that old nature, that sinful nature. It can only be remedied by the blood of Christ covering the life. And that's what people need to hear. He says, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God, to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. And also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. God was about ready to destroy the people that he brought out of Egypt. And when I went up to the mountain, Moses is saying, to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you. Then I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and I neither ate bread nor drank water. Have you ever seen somebody who has fasted for that long? If you ever get an opportunity to see the metamorphosis of any human being that fasts for 40 days. Now, he was in the presence of Almighty God. He says he never ate or drank. A human being normally can't live. You can live without that without 40, for 40 days without food, but you're probably not going to make it without water. But in the presence of God, all things are possible, right? But I, I'm willing to say that uh, I, I've known people who have fasted for 40 days, and they, are, they lose significant weight. <laughs> it, is, it is huge. And, um, and Moses did this more than once, right back to back pretty much. And so I can only imagine that he was as skinny as a rail by the time his, that time had ended. Uh, but then again... We're not sure exactly how, how God sustained him and what he did because that's a factor that we have to add in, right? Because he is in, in the presence of Almighty God. And I imagine the time went by so quick. You know, can you imagine being in the presence of Almighty God? You're the only one. You're the only one that God would speak to face to face. I wonder what that was like for Moses. You know, time just kind of stood still and there he is just totally enamored in his presence, you know. So in verse 10, he says, Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Notice, not some chiseling tool. Moses didn't get out his handy-dandy, you know, DeWalt drill or, you know, his little jackhammer and, you know, and made out some Hebrew letters. No, this was the finger of God. I would have loved to have seen those tablets because it was probably the most beautiful thing we've ever seen in the middle of granite rock or whatever rock that was to see just the beautiful letters by the finger of God. He could just take his finger and just put it in the rock and it would just obey him. Can you imagine that? It would be the most beautiful writ we've ever seen in our life. He delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Now look with me if you just take a look over in, in, the, in, the, in Exodus. Look over at Exodus chapter 19, and we're just going to take a quick tour of, of this because I think this is kind of interesting. Because in Exodus chapter 19, we see God preparing the people that he was going to come down on a mountain with fire, and he was going to meet them. So in uh, chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 10, you know, the Lord uh, says, prepare the people, consecrate them, for on the third day I'm going to come down. And, and he did. And, and it says, uh, uh, it goes, you know, that the trumpet gets louder and louder there in verse 19. And, you know, uh, the Lord came down upon the mountain. 
on top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses onto the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And, and, and then he goes down, and finally we get to the Ten Commandments. And this is where God just utters. He, he, he doesn't have it written down. It's just something he utters from the mountain at that time. You know, and God spoke, notice in verse, or chapter 20 and verse 1, and God spoke all these words, and then he, he lays out the Ten Commandments. It's not written. It's something that's orally shared at that time. And I'll, I'll put this up on the screen so you can see them because I think this is a really interesting thing to, to look at. Now, uh, so it's something that he spoke to them. It wasn't written. Now go to Exodus chapter 31. And in verse 18, again, after the commandments had been given verbally, orally, now in chapter 31, beginning in verse 18, it says, And when he made an end of speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave... Moses, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So now he writes down these things for them. And then what happens in the very next chapter, if you turn the page, or in Exodus 32, they make this molten calf and they fall into idolatry, right? And so Moses is up there on the mountain. He comes down and he sees what they're doing. And you'll notice in verse 19 of chapter 32, it says, So it was, as soon as he came near the camp... He saw that the calf uh, that, that they had made and the dancing, and so Moses' anger became so hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. So here are tablets that God made. I don't know about you, but I, 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 it's kind of interesting. You know, God didn't tell him to break the tablets. But here's this, these tablets that God had written. To me, if I had tablets that, written, that God had written on with his own finger, I'd be hanging on to them, putting them in like in a glass, you know, enclosure, you know, really thick so nobody could get their mitts on them, right? You know, humidity controlled, temperature controlled. Wow, man, look at that. And then it, it kind of rotates so you can see both sides, you know. You know, it just kind of goes something like that, right? And then charge admission, right? $50 for Christians, $100 for unbelievers. Only kidding. So... Notice he breaks these tablets. Now go with me to Exodus chapter 34. And we'll just look at the first. Uh, notice in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, this is the second time, those tablets had been broken. Chapter 31, verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Now cut two tablets of stone. You're going to do it this time, Moses. I gave you the two tablets. I want you to cut them just like the ones I gave you originally. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And so he goes through this. And so, you know, this is uh, what had happened. What had happened. Go back with me to, to Numbers. We're now in verse uh, 12. So then the Lord said to me, he says, Arise and go down quickly from here and your people whom you have brought. Notice your people. So this is the very first time that, that they had really blown it. And so Moses, again, is just rehearsing this event, their failure to them, because they had, just as we do, we have the propensity to repeat the same things over and over again. And we have to be reminded. We have to be reminded. And why do we have to be reminded? Because we do the same things. You know, how many times have you told your children, honey, don't do this. This is going to happen. When the, when the stove is glowing red hot, don't put your hand on it, honey. And, you, and you're like, Oh, why, Mommy? Or why, Daddy? Oh, because it's really hot and it's going to burn you. And what's the first thing you do? You take the pot of boiling water with the macaroni and cheese that they wanted for lunch, and you take it over like this, and they run up and they stick their hand right on the hot burner. 
You've told them several times, but they've got to try it. They've got to see if it's for real, right? So it's unfortunate, but we have to be told over and over again. And God, like a heavenly father, he's not ashamed to remind us. And so he does it here. But notice what... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, Simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location, and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.